Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry? I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. This is the Abby Normal Podcast, here to tell you that you're weird and that's normal. The past year has brought about immense change. We're all spinning from the personal and societal changes that are happening. And change is uncomfortable, always. Usually it's the outcome of pain and suffering. And we've had a lot of that. My hope is that some good things will come from it. Some people are totally comfortable with their lives. At least prior to 2020. They had goals and wants, but in general, things felt just as they should be. For other people, the changes that need to happen in this country or this world seem so urgent. They work hard to get changes moving, to educate others, to take action in the ways that they can, and we've seen those things pay off. I think that everyone has their thing that they're passionate about or they're experts on, and they focus their energies there. I believe that we need all these types of people. For example, I'm not super into animals. I'm not going to be donating money or volunteering my time. However, I don't want animals to go extinct, and I think animals should be treated humanely. So I'm glad that there's people who care that much about it to do the work. And sometimes there are trade-offs in this kind of work. In the past, we've done a proposition party where we get together and talk about all the propositions on the ballot, do some in-the-moment research, discuss, and decide individually how to vote. One year, there was something about chickens and cages. I don't remember the details, but honestly, at the end of the discussion, we were like, there is no answer. No matter how we vote, someone or something gets screwed. Is it the chickens? Is it the farmers? The consumer? Is it U.S. trade? Is it freaking all of it? I'm pretty sure I voted for chickens to have bigger cages because in the simplest scenario, animals should have bigger cages. But please understand that that certainly didn't mean it was the best answer even for the chicken. I am passionate about inclusion for all and equity for women in the workplace. And the great thing about equity for women is that it's not like the chicken situation. It's not a zero-sum game. If women have more inclusion and equity, everyone gains. Men, people of color, the LGBTQ community. What works to include more women actually includes everyone. So I don't have to vote for women and against everyone else. It means that's the thing that I'm putting my energy into. I can do my best to be an ally and hold hands with other groups and individuals. We're each pursuing our purpose and passion, and it's not away from each other. It's to the same point, one where we have equal opportunity. Got up this morning. Got out of bed. For the next few episodes, we're telling one story about change makers. It's a microcosm of how change can be made with a small group of individuals which grows, takes tiny steps toward their goal, and doesn't get to see the big payoff at the end. But there are things to learn from their story. First, it's one-on-one interactions that make the most impact. Two, the past year has revealed that the efforts of those working on diversity and equity issues were not only accurate, but totally achievable. And three, you may pay the price for standing up for what and who you believe in. From the computer, get everything done. Part one of this story 
is about the beginnings of the Women's Empowerment Network, now referred to as WEN, an employee resources group at a large conglomerate. The three women that you'll hear on this episode have a combined total of over 35 years of experience at this company. So when they describe the climate when they began WEN, you can believe they know what the heck they're talking about. I mean, I think that in the outdoor industry in general, you know, it is very white male. You know, I think you look at sports, you look at, you know, outdoor sports. uh, A lot of them are very privileged activities. Skiing and snowboarding are not inexpensive. Um, That culture kind of persists within the people who work for the brands that, that make those products. The leadership was always male. And actually, I had one of the executive VPs in my part in the organization once say in a meeting openly that our organization was male, pale, and stale. Um, and that resonated with me that <laughs> I looked up and there was no one who was female in my entire organization, my direct reporting structure. When I realized that, it does kind of feel like the odds are against you. There's definitely peers of mine who did work in more bro-type organizations like marketing or in the product um, categories where Mm -hmm. there were boys clubs, you know, and if you weren't that dude, you know, who would just, you know, get a six pack and like your hat was backwards, like you really were kind of not that type. And I think even within the male community, there was a certain look or just Mm -hmm. attitude that if you had that persona or that vibe, you definitely progressed in a way that people who didn't, did not. I'll tell you the culture definitely was a little bit toxic. It was founded on old school ideas uh, on misogyny and how, I, I mean, the South is still very, very traditional and very, very misogynist. And that's kind of where we were bought. To me personally, I just witnessed men training women and the women acting just like the men instead of doing something that they should be doing as a woman. They were supposed to bring the feminine to the masculine and make it kind of an equal for everything, for solutions, you know? It's just like, it was their kingdom and it was like Lord of the Flies. And if we happen to want to get in, you'd have to really be like, a bro. Basically, all the girls that I know that like they had to grow up in order to feel like they could, you know, get anywhere. And it was true. The women that growed up did get further along than the women that didn't. You get the picture. Very white, male-led company. And if you wanted to get ahead, you better look or act like a stereotypical white male athlete. Look, I know you're curious, but I will not be mentioning the name of the company. I mean, it's not necessary. This organization is not unique. Across the U.S., entry-level management, 38% are women. Senior management, 28%. And only 21% in the C-suite are women. But I'll give you one more reason for secrecy. I'm protecting all these women. 
here's a short lesson. There is a thing called severance pay. This is the compensation or benefits an employer provides to an employee after employment is over. Severance is a genius device because to get the pay, an employee has to sign an agreement stipulating that they were not wrongfully let go and will thus not sue the employer and will not discuss the terms of the agreement. Basically, the pay is an incentive to sign the agreement. Of course, for a lot of people, severance is great. It provides you some financial security while you find your next job, which truly feels like a gift, one that your employer is not legally required to give you. But it's also the thing that prevents people from potentially bringing forward any claims of discrimination against the employer. I mean, most of us aren't in a position to turn down thousands of dollars of severance pay simply to hold on to the right to sue especially when in most cases there isn't any financial incentive to sue. Even if you choose to, even if you win, you still end up with an agreement you signed not to talk about the discrimination executed by the company. So literally nothing will be freaking fixed anyway. So there you go. Severance agreements have been signed, y'all. And for the rest of the folks interviewed, they'd like to keep their jobs because it's rough out there. Back to the Women's Empowerment Network. It began as a glimmer of an idea by three women who just wanted to read books together. And that came out of a conversation that one of my coworkers, Brenda, was having with me in the hallway around, she was reading Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. And I was like, oh, I have that book at home. I've never read it. We should read it together. And then we told our other coworker, Linda, about it. And the three of us decided to read it together. And, you know, it was really an empowering moment. I think we were all kind of um, in different places in our lives personally and in our careers. And the book talks a lot about just different backgrounds and the three of us had very, very different backgrounds, but we're all at the same, you know, level of career. So it was like a really good jumpstart. And from that, we kind of, you know, convinced HR to to buy books for us um, that had to do with professional growth. And then one of the books that we read short after Outliers was Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg. And Sheryl talks a lot about, you know, the lean in circles. Um, And at that point, we had had, I think there was probably about 12 of us in the book club by then. And around that time, too, Camber Outdoors started doing these recording, like, webinars. Um, And the VP of HR at the time decided to facilitate, like, lunches where women could come together and listen to the webinars. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think we did about three or four of that, and it just kind of kept growing. And then the conversations really started to meld that we were like, why don't we have a lean in circle? All these women are getting together. We decided to do something a little bit different and really thought about how we could, you know, create a community of support and and encouragement for women uh, in the workplace, uh, especially in the bro culture that we were working in the outdoor industry. Our VP of HR at the time pulled a bunch of directors and just powerful women that she felt on campus 
to come to this roundtable and say, hey, what do you all think of putting together a women's network? And she gave us examples like how the Oracle was doing it and what their names were and how maybe Google did it. And we had all just read Lean In from our book club. So we were thinking about that whole thing too. Like, oh, if we could get, you know, somebody like, an author that has one of these women's empowerment books, we could probably, you know, we didn't have a budget, although I think Patty gave us a budget, but I don't even know what it was, maybe 5,000. And then we just started coming regularly to these meetings and we kept talking about our mission. And then we kept talking about our name and how it can be an acronym and how that all kind of came to be because that was even really important to us, as Abby and I know, because we have it tattooed on our arms. But that all, you know, meant a lot, you know, because I was part of, just part of that planning of that pillar. And then I got, I think probably maybe two months in, I was voted uh, vice president. And because we had that book club before, uh, it was called Ladies Who Lunch, and it was a book club. and men could come to, but you know, they had asked us if we could merge, if the book club could be part of when. And then at that time we were reading Confidence Code and that's really what helped us. You know, that's what Karen and Jana and Brenda all got together and from that book and some other research that they did, they put together a workshop that everybody really fucking dug. It helped, you know, you could tell the people in the room who really needed that. You know, I went to all of them just to make sure that, you know, I was, you know, doing my part, but that was a really successful thing for us to do right off the bat. And I think that allowed people to be like, Oh, okay hey, you guys are maybe doing something for us. You are maybe, maybe this is a new revolution on the campus. Yeah, I, it got to a point, I guess, where we had our, all of our ducks in a row, like they like to say. I mean, personally, I had just come out of uh, working on a trade organization association and getting that chapter started in the Bay Area. So I came at it from a point of view of like, we need to have a lot of structure. Um, right, right. So we looked, you know, at what did it look like in terms of having formal structure to the program? So having um, different pillars where certain people would be the leads for different activities. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a really interesting process for us to all, you know, everybody had their own motivations as to why they wanted to join and what they thought was important. So some people volunteerism was really important. Some people education was really important. Other people like outreach towards, you know, young women uh, was really important. So really finding pillars that allowed that kind of um, events and activities to take place that was formed. And I think that that was a really great opportunity for a lot of women who could take on positions in the uh, organization that didn't necessarily reflect where they were personally in their careers. You know, it allowed people to kind of just try on different hats and see like, do I like this or do I not like that? Um, And that was pretty great. And so I think then it became a a lot more um, strategic 
uh, especially when we started thinking about who do we want in leadership positions to run the organization when it became much bigger than just you know a group of 10 to 15 women. As an underground movement, as it really kind of started, there was a little bit of conversations and decisions that were kind of behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. Um, so it didn't necessarily feel inclusive um, in the beginning. And I think the motivations that people had were, you know, authentic and genuine, but at the same time, it did keep people out of the loop. So I mm-hmm. think when it became more of a democratic process, people felt much more included. And then that's where the strategy really kicked in, where we had a framework um, with, you know, if you're going to participate in X area, you know, there are some expectations. So I think that like any grassroots organization, it's real easy to show up and it's not as easy to actually execute. Um, So I think that a lot of people struggled with that and balancing it between, you know, their regular work because a lot of this was happening at work. Like the strategy part came in in terms of just having people really, if they had an idea, like they had to have it more fleshed out because it did take resources and time to actually put these events and activities together. And I think a lot of people really did a fantastic job in terms of bringing in speakers or just engaging other women um, and men in conversations that weren't necessarily familiar. The women who started this group and largely participated were not leaders in the organization. I have to emphasize this because it's a key component of what brought them in and brought personal fulfillment. They did not have power within their roles, but they could have an important voice within when, no matter their professional role. Key points here. The head of HR at the time was totally supportive of the creation of this resource group. And they voted in a bold president who spread the word. Both of these women were named Patty. And even today, three years post this starting point, they're spoken of with reverence. You know, so I'll backtrack a little bit. We were at the table. We made all of these things happen. We had a confidence workshop. And then we launched a party in, the, in our garden at work, our launch party. What what was the mission at that point? At that like early stage, to get members to, to get to get members. But like, what was the mission? Was there a mission of win at that point? Yeah, the mission has always been the same. We came up with that mission to um, work with mentorship and career development for you know all the professional things women need to have to have in their belt, right? I think what the launch party was about was getting our face in front of everybody saying, Hey, look, we're, we're really going to do this. We're really doing this. This isn't just something you've heard. But by then Patty had gone to all like the VPs and, and the president of the companies and said, this is what's going to be happening. You know, you need to give a little bit of time to, the board of directors when they need to take meetings and things like that. And this is happening. And that was pretty exciting. 
This push to shift the culture towards greater equality and representation of women at the leadership level was not happening in a vacuum. In October 2017, Alyssa Milano tweeted, Me too. And within the first 24 hours, the hashtag was used by more than 4.7 million people. So as women in this organization were finding their voices, women in society at large were finding theirs. You know, when the Me Too movement hit, there was just a lot of momentum for women to kind of say, like, enough is enough and really think about who they were and what they wanted and not be so timid about speaking up. One day I'm out of town at a conference and I get an email. OMG, you're not going to believe what happened today. When people came into the office, there was a letter and an email in most people's inbox. It was titled Break Ceilings, and the branding was brilliant. The author designed a logo and message that was a play on the company's marketing. It was beautiful and revolutionary. It got everyone's attention with their demand to dismantle the boys club and bring more women onto the leadership team. It was the buzz. It was a, it was just a total like roast of the men on the campus and how the boys club had to stop. And we feel like whoever did that anonymously knew that win was just forming and felt okay to do that. If we had not formed, I don't think that that person would have done it. No, I think that that letter was super impactful. I think that that letter was amazingly timed. I think that the guerrilla style around it is something that I love. You know, again, I don't like the clinical corporate stamp on everything. So I, I think that it was long overdue and just an amazing way of propelling the conversation that no one wanted to have. Right. Well, and part of the, maybe not the problem, but like we talked about so much at, in when, like in, within when meetings and the conversations we had, and I'm sure you guys talked about so much even before I got there. And I feel like what ceilings did was boil it down to this one thing that you can do that like one single problem, right? It's like, look at our leadership team. Women are not making it up there. Why? Yeah. No. Yeah. So I think that that part of it was really powerful. Was engineered to spark a conversation that no one was willing to have openly. And I think amongst women, it was really powerful. And I think for a lot of men, it was really uncomfortable, but in a good way. I mean, I think it made more than made it, it forced people to recognize that there was a disparity and that, you know, something has to be done to address it and something has to be done to correct it. It shook some people up. It really made them think, you know, because the men, quite frankly, no clue. They had no clue. About like the way that women were feeling or what? And the way they acted towards them and how the way their culture of growing up together and excluding women, you know, doing the whole thing that, you know, lean in was talking about lean into the table and there's a lot of men that weren't letting they were the type of men that 
a woman would say something in a meeting, everybody would be like, oh, okay. And then five minutes later, another person says the same exact, the same exact thing, but he's a man. And they're all like, oh, that's totally what we should do. If, if, if men are at the table with their elbows out, it's yes. hard to lean in, right? <laughs> I remember being sort of disappointed about how how little discussion there was it was about it on our team in our department. And I don't know if it was because it was a play on one of our campaigns that people were afraid to talk about it. I know a lot of people were hesitant to like put the stickers on anything where anybody could see it. And, but I did have a number of people ask me if they could get stickers. Ceilings brought momentum, right? For mm-hmm. what? So if that hadn't happened, like, would we have accomplished as much as we did or gotten that seat at the table that you have, uh-huh. you know, and I don't know. I don't think so. You don't think I so. I don't think so. Like you, we, and the company needed that like bomb drop, right? Yes. I do think ceilings came out of not enough happening with when and the frustration of it not moving along fast enough. What do you think that were the specific requests that when was not getting traction on having an actual conversation about the bro culture and acknowledging that it's there and putting together an actual plan about how to address it and it was effective like these unconscious bias courses were implemented because of that i don't i'm not sure that when would have ever gotten that as like a company sponsored employee resource group. I don't, I mean, if when did, it was going to take a real long time because there was no way for an employee resource group to be that disruptive. Yeah. It either needed to be anonymous or like what Nike did where a group of women came together and like wrote a letter and addressed it head on with HR, which I kind of wish we had been able to do. That would have felt really good because of ceilings that didn't happen because it got that attention. And I'm, I'm curious what would have been more effective if we'd been able to rally a bunch of people together and stand behind this letter and sign it. Like, would that have been more effective? Would that, that have gone like more public and outside the company? Yeah. Fascinating question like my inclination is to be like, yes, that would have had more power, right? To put like actual faces and names behind it. Mm-hmm. However, then mm-hmm. they could have looked at that list and been like, well, here's the troublemakers and here's the 20 people that aren't happy. Everyone else is happy. It's just these 20 people that have a problem. So all we're going to do is look at these people, yeah. right? And just focus on that versus looking at the whole culture. And I think it did happen a little bit, even with ceilings. I feel like people who took photos of those stickers and posted them on social media were affected. What happened to them? (laughs) Well, one of them lost her job. I put the ceiling sticker up at my cubicle. And I don't think Amy's hypothesis is wrong. There were consequences for individuals who put their names behind the cause, even if it was just in solidarity. Do you know who wrote the letter? I do not. 
You don't? Do you? <laughs> no, I don't. But I feel oh. like I feel like I need to find out who it is. Really? See, I don't think it matters. No? No, I don't. I don't think it matters at all who wrote the letter. Well, all I think that matters is the conversation that happened after. Interesting viewpoint. Mm-hmm. I feel like the person that wrote the letter would say something like that. I did not write the letter. <laughs> <laughs> It was a very well-crafted letter, and I am not that good of a writer. Amy knows who the anonymous author of this revolutionary letter, email, and sticker designer is. We have some clues. Perhaps she's a woman, and perhaps she left the company shortly after the letter was written. But believe me, I've probed, and no one is willing to give her up. person who did it, like, randomly came clean to me. And so I knew where to get the stickers. <laughs> so when anybody wanted some, I like knew who to go to to get them. So what happened after ceilings? Does an actual conversation about bro culture happen? Donnie said they started with good questions like, what kind of problems do women face? Why don't we have more women in leadership? What can I do? Amy heard silence in her department. Only discreet whispers. Hey, how do I get a sticker? As an HR professional, I can tell you that when something like this happens, it's all about control and appeasement. The message and incident zips quickly through HR to the company VIPs, and a response is quickly drafted to quell the panic and remind people... Everything is okay. So next episode, we'll talk about the efforts the company took to control the blowback of the ceilings campaign and what other efforts WEN undertook to develop women and bring attention to the issues. And perhaps we'll try to ferret out the unknown activist. Here's a hint of what's coming. I think that they are pro-inclusion and diversity. However, I don't know that we're there yet that mm -hmm. we've taken all of the necessary steps i th i think it's gonna take a while i just don't know that we have necessarily the same momentum in the discussions that we were having two years ago mm -hmm. or a year and a half ago like a